Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 120. 120. Right? <laughs> Closer to 200. Exactly. Today, we have an amazing conversation with a doctor that we all love, we all know and love, the nerdy neurologist, Dr. Yes. Mitzi Joy Williams. Yes. You can find Dr. Mitzi Joy Williams at the Joy Life Wellness Center. Uh, she is based in Noonan, Georgia, and she sees clients or clients, <laughs> patients um, via video or telehealth consultation, or you can call and schedule an appointment with her. Uh, and also in Smyrna, Georgia. So it's just right outside of Atlanta. I think it's perfect that we're ending our MS Awareness Month programming with Dr. Williams. She's just such a gem and a wealth of knowledge. And it's always great to talk with her. It is. Welcome to season four of the Myelin and Melanin podcast. I'm Dawn. And I'm Dana. We are two Black women sharing our musings on life, MS, and everything in between. You can find us on the web at myelinandmelanin.com, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at myelinmelanin. Also, don't forget to subscribe to us on YouTube. Hi, Dr. Williams. Thank you for joining us once again. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. It's my pleasure. Yeah. So everyone knows this is MS Awareness Month. We've been talking and doing lots of things, and um, it's always exciting diving in. And we have been talking a lot this season um, about taking up space and having conversations with several different uh, doctors, one of which my neurologist we had a few weeks back, Dr. Creighton, which is great. Um, and we're just going to jump right in with the question and ask you, um, we wanted to know, how is it that as you as an MS specialist, how is it that you treat or how is it that you approach and treat the entire person, not just their MS? Yeah, so it's a it's a great question. And I think the first thing you have to recognize is that, you know, when you are in the field of medicine, you know, treating people is not just about looking at their condition. You have to look at the whole person because different aspects of our health, different aspects of our mental well-being, et cetera, affect our physical health. And so the first thing we have to do is look at each person as an individual. Um, I spend time getting to know that person usually. And by the time we do several visits very close together, especially when people are first diagnosed or when they first start seeing me, we kind of get to know each other. And I think that, you know, we incorporate talking about MS, but we also incorporate talking about their lifestyle. We talk about their diet. We talk about family dynamics because all of those things affect our ability to be successful and whatever right. treatment regimen and whatever treatment plan we come up with. Right. So when I know that a lot of times when I've walked into an office, this is prior to Dr. Creighton, I remember going in and thinking, okay, I have all of these emotions, all of these things happening in my, in my life. And I don't know how to process my MS. Who do I talk to? Is that, is that something that you, I don't know, I guess, is it something that you recognize in patients? Like, 
is it that is it a connection that you have to have or you know what I mean or is it something that you 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 maybe expect the patient to also come to you and say hey I do need help with my mental health or my you know um, physical therapy or something like that is it so I uh-huh. Yes. Yeah, so, so I think the answer to that is both. Right. So it's mm-hmm. kind of like having wisdom. So a large part of being a doctor is prescribing medications and coming up with treatment plans, but also a large part of being a doctor um, and helping people is to be able to read people. You know, so yeah. one of the things that I'm very good at is, is getting a sense for when people are overwhelmed. I call it, you know, the eyes starting to glaze over, right? So if I'm giving this information and I'm like, yeah, we're going to talk about this and talk about this, you know, and I see that the person, you know, really seems overwhelmed or seems to, you know, not be able to process. Right. Then that's a good point for us to pause and number one, address what's going on emotionally and then maybe put a pin in that and come back to it later. Right. So I think that we have to have that flexibility. So I do often ask people about their mental health, depending on how they look, especially after I've gotten to know them. I can kind of sense when people are, you know, not you, not themselves, but I think it also is important if you're having trouble, especially if you're one of those people that is very good at hiding when you're having difficulty, because a lot of people come into the office, they're smiling, they seem happy, but they're really struggling. So I think that it's um, imperative on the part of the healthcare team to look and say, hey, something's a little off. Do we need to talk about this? But also imperative for you to say something if you're having a problem, because we cannot fix or address a problem that we don't know exists. Right. 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 Yeah. I think that's something that is difficult a lot of times, especially for folks who are newly diagnosed to really name what's going on. You know what I mean? Because you don't even have like, you know, the vocabulary, right? Like the language vocabulary to do it. So it's tricky. Yeah, it definitely is. So, so whenever I newly diagnose someone, I pretty much recommend therapy for everybody. Okay. Um, So I'm a big advocate of mental health and mental wellness. I feel like you need to take the same care of your emotions that you do your physical body, right? If your foot Mm -hmm. is hurting and you feel like it's killing you and it's interfering with your function, um, you're going to get that addressed. And we should do the same things if we're having um, emotional uh, problems or difficulties that are interfering with our function or affecting our quality of life. So I look at them as very similar and equal. So right. whenever someone's diagnosed, um, I often recommend that people consider some type of mental health service or behavioral health service, just because it can be very overwhelming with just your regular life stressors, right? right. Um, you know, then on top of that, especially now we have a pandemic going on, which is a right. whole extra set of stressors. And then you add on top of that, now we're diagnosing you with a chronic disease um, where there's a lot of uncertainty about the future. So I think that anybody in that situation would need a little extra help. Um, So I'm a big advocate um, for mental health, especially for everyone in the beginning, or at least us kind of addressing what's going on, at least identifying that this could potentially be an issue if people don't desire to seek um, mental health services at that time. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yes. So Dr. Williams, as Don had mentioned um, in the beginning of the conversation, one of our themes for season four of the podcast is the whole idea of taking up space. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as people living with MS, often we tend to attach things like guilt, shame, uh, the idea that we're burdens and things like that, that often prevent us, I think from wanting to take up space or feeling that we are worthy, 
enough to take up space. So I've got a two part question for you. So the first part is how do you as an MS specialist, how do you, or what would you do to guide your patients um, to take up space? Like, how would you recommend, you know, how would you talk about taking up space with them? And then the second part of the question is how do you take up space? You, Dr. Williams. Okay. Yeah. So those are both great questions. Okay, <laughs> right. so, so let's break the first one down. So let's right. break the first one down. I want to break it down into two pieces, right? So let's uh -huh. talk about taking up space kind of within your own circle and then talk mm -hmm. about it on a broader scale, right? right? So within your own circle, I think that we have to get out of this um, superwoman complex, right? Because most of the people diagnosed with MS are women, right? Um, and we're used to taking care of other people, but we don't want people to take care of us, mm -hmm. right? Um, and so I think we have to first have this shift in mindset, um, which I encourage my patients to do, um, that it's okay to ask for help. You don't have to do this alone. And not only that, what a blessing it is that you have people who want to help, right? There are right. some people who are truly alone in this world and don't have great support systems, right? So um, we have to work with those groups on kind of finding your tribe and finding your support system, whether it's connecting with the MS community or reconnecting with other people. But for those who have the support, it's like you have the help there. Don't be afraid to reach out and ask for help because people want to help you and they right. don't know that you're having issues unless you say something, right? It's okay not to be the strongest person in the room and lean on other people. Right. Um, and so that's, that's often a struggle, um, you know, to get people to realize that, um, that it's okay to take up that space and to um, tap into the resources and to tap into those around you who want to support you and want to help you if you would only just ask. And mm -hmm. then when we talk about taking up space on a broader scale, I'm a big advocate, just as you ladies do, um, of telling your story, right? So I encourage my patients, you know, of course, depending on the level of disability, depending on how MS affects you, you may have um, different limitations and things that you used to be able to do. But if you're still here, you still have purpose, right? So let's try to find that purpose, right? So maybe we can't run a marathon like we used to, but maybe we can give knowledge to other people about how to run a marathon, right? Mm -hmm. Or maybe we can look into some other talent or gifting that maybe um, we weren't tapping into before because we were so focused on this other thing. And so I think it's very important for us to, as adjusting to uh, your new normal, finding this new sense of purpose and realizing that you're still here for a reason, you can still be an encouragement to other people, and that even if we can't do the things we used to do, there's still a lot that we can do. Um, and so that's how I encourage people to kind of find that new niche or niche um, and yeah. to tap into that. And, and I found some of my patients had all kinds of talents that they didn't even realize they had public speaking, right. you know, sharing their story. And they're like, oh my God, right. I didn't even know I could do this until I got uh -huh. MS and I couldn't do what I was focused on. Mm -hmm. And then for myself, uh, the way that I take up space is I really follow my passion. My mantra is to really follow the path of peace. When I have peace doing something, when I have peace in a certain space, even if I, you know, when we bought our house, I walked in and I was like, I have a sense of peace. This is where I'm supposed to be. And yeah. so that's how I often make decisions. And so, you know, my passion, you know, is taking care of and uh, serving people with MS, mm -hmm. but my passion is also educating and education um, for myself, my peers, 
um, people living with them as their families. And so following that passion has led me to some amazing open doors um, that I probably would never thought I would have walked through if I hadn't really just kind of figured out what I love to do and what I'm good at and following that, um, you know, uh, relentlessly. Right. You know, that's why you, you stand out. Yeah. <laughs> you know, earlier you had mentioned that, you know, it's kind of letting go of that superwoman idea, that superwoman yeah. trope. And mm-hmm. I think that's hard sometimes for people when we talk about mm-hmm. taking up space because we're used to showing up into wherever we are as the strong, confident one. And so I think it's very hard for people to be vulnerable and Mm -hmm. to show up as they are. Maybe today is not, you know, a good day or whatever, but just showing up authentically as who you are. And I think that, you know, what you said is so important that it's not a prerequisite to be strong. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And whatever that strong means. And also, I think, too, it's like redefining what strong means. You know what I mean? Because it's such a nuanced concept. Um, It is. And, and, you know, the other thing about it is that there are different periods where we are different things, right? So just because you're not strong in a moment doesn't mean you're not strong. It means you're having a tough time and you need help right then. Doesn't mean that you're not a strong person overall. So getting, so so it's, it's, it's getting out of this idea that we have to be strong all the time, that we have to be all things to all people, all of the time that we never get to rest, that we never get to um, lean into the resources and the support that we've given to so many other people, right? Yes. You sow and you sow and you sow, but you also can reap some of the benefits of all of that strength that you've sown into other people. And I think that's where we have to do some, some shifts in mindset to really yes. kind of wrap our, wrap our minds and thoughts around that. That is so right. true. Very so true. true. And to add on to that, to piggyback on what you both said, I think society pushes us as Mm -hmm. a whole to Mm -hmm. be independent. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, from, from childhood on, it's like, oh, I can't wait to get you out of the house. You can be on your own and get do for yourself. And once you, once you're doing for yourself, you are just taught to be in this rat race and have that independence. So if you are, for example, a young person like Dana and myself, we were in our twenties being diagnosed with a debilitating illness. It's like, oh my God, the reality of my life is going to change. My life has changed and it can go this way, you know, because of whatever statistics or whatever progression, the disease progression. And so the lack of, of, of feeling confident and knowing that your independence can be compromised, I think contributes to the fear of taking up space or the fear, the guilt and the burden that you feel. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. But you know, it's up to us who know better to do better and to teach the younger generations to be better, right. Than we were, because there are a lot of people who've suffered breakdowns, you know, who've had um, complete loss of everything they have because they were trying so hard to be strong until they just yep. finally broke and couldn't do anything, right? So we have to, you know, that's this whole thought of self-care, which has become, you know, a very popular term in the in the past decade or so, especially in the past couple of years, where we have to take care of ourselves yeah. so that we can take care of others and do the things that we desire to do. Mm-hmm. 
Yes, absolutely. Right. And to like, you know, listening to that as well, you know, thinking about the idea of independence, it is hard when your, you know, the challenges that you face because of MS, you know, might kind of put independence into kind of like a a tricky place. But I Mm -hmm. think too, that that really calls for self-advocacy as well. Because even if you're not as quote unquote as independent, really, what does that even mean? But, you know, as independent as you thought you should be, Mm -hmm. the fact that you are your own person and you are advocating for yourself is, you know, asserting your independence as well. Um, Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, we have to adjust our perspective, you know, even with something, let's say simple, like exercise, something I always tell um, my patients is, okay, you know, if you have difficulty walking or if you have some type of motor or, you know, Mm -hmm. physical disability, right, we have to change our perception of exercise. Exercise does not have to be you getting in your cute, you know, Peloton outfit or whatever, and you know, going to the gym and pumping iron for for an hour and then running for an hour. It could be you walking from the end of the grocery store parking lot to the door. Right. Right. So we have to change our perceptions. We have these images in our mind of what it's supposed to look like, what this is supposed to be. Um, Mm -hmm. But we have to adjust those to our reality. Right. It is what we desire for it to be, what we say it's going to be. You know, so we have to get these kind of preformed images out of our mind and adjust them to our condition and where we are right now. And that's for all of us. Right. Mm hmm. Yes, and I think if sure. anything that, and I think if anything, the pandemic has taught us more about that than we ever would yeah. have liked to learn. You know, our limitations. You know, yes, absolutely. Yeah. So you are a wealth of knowledge, uh, Dr. Williams, and we have another question for you. Sure. If if you were to uh, have a young, up and coming MS specialist, um, mm-hmm. somebody that wants to you know, I guess, reap the benefits, as you were saying, of someone as knowledgeable as yourself. Um, What advice would you give a new MS specialist on how to treat the patient as a whole person and not just their diagnosis? Yeah, that's a great response. And I have actually, there are a couple um, that I know of personally who are doing some great work and getting ready to finish and come out into the field um, as MS specialists. Um, probably the advice I would give is to do a lot of listening. Mm-hmm. I think I've become a much better um, provider, healthcare, um, you know, support team person the more I listen. Because we have in our minds, you know, as, uh, you know, doctors, what we think the plan should be. Sometimes we may look at a chart and we may say, okay, I already know what I'm going to do before I walk in the room. But you have to sit and look at that person, look at what's going on with that individual. And then we also have to reformulate and adjust maybe the plans we thought should be the best plans based on that person. And so you do, you need to do a lot of listening. Um, And you need to do a lot of adjusting and be flexible. Um, And I think that, you know, you treat that person how you would want somebody to treat you or your family member or your loved one if they had a condition. And I think that if you do those things, plus employ the knowledge of many of the newer treatments and newer things going on in the field, I think that, you know, they'll be in great shape. I love that. Yeah, I do too. Yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you for- Absolutely your information you're always uh you know leaving us with gems and we love having you on 
Yeah. Thank you so much. Always a pleasure talking with you ladies. I love it. Thanks for tuning in to the Myelin and Melanin podcast. You can find us on the web at myelinandmelanin.com, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at myelinmelanin. Don't forget to leave us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll talk to you soon. Bye. Bye.